Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. All right, fam. So we've entered the new year of 2023, and it seems like the deeper we go into this sort of manufactured future scenario of self-driving cars and artificially intelligent algorithms sort of scouring the internet looking for artwork to steal from respected artists in our community, you know, the deeper we go into this um, unknown world of AI innovation, the more I'm starting to see the boundaries of our world blur and become something relative to like a complex fractal of exploding shapes and forms. You know, if you've ever seen like the artwork of Alex Gray or Android Jones, something like that, you know, where like the boundaries of our creative impulse as humans starts to fall apart and everything becomes one just vast data sphere of information coming at us from all directions. You know, it's hard to know uh, whether we should embrace or fear the sort of existential pull of machine learning, but uh, perhaps that's the point. You know, our perspective of AI seems to encompass the most curious aspect of our humanness, but also the darker sides of our humanness as well. I mean, everyone I talk to seems to be equally as excited as they are afraid to welcome this new technology into the field of consciousness. But there seems to be something to this feeling of excitement and fear. I think uh, at the core, there seems to be something otherworldly and mystical about it. I mean, from the surface, the idea of AI doesn't at all seem wrong. I mean, how could it? You know, if it exists, then Source created it for a reason, right? Though I think the consensus points to a fear of it being placed into the wrong hands, which, you know, of course is a reasonable concern to have. But, you know, let's just say we live in a hypothetical world where we don't misuse it. So let's just say that we give in to the creative impulse to explore through our curiosity to know how far we can go with something like this. You know, um... To me, there seems to be a a type of quality to the intelligence of this force that, you know, really can't be ignored. It seems that the deeper we delve into the field of AI, the closer we are to approaching a type of uh, singularity point where its capability surpasses the realm of even our understanding as humans. And of course, the metaphysical axiom that comes to mind when we play within this sort of unknown realm is that it seems that we are knocking at the door of the infinite in the same way that we were years ago when the Higgs boson was born and we discovered the God particle. You know, when scientists gathered to see atoms smash together in the presence of a particle accelerator, I mean, that shit was crazy. And I'm certain everyone in that room looked at each other at some point with this look of like, fuck, I'm not sure if we should be doing this, Susan. (laughs) In which Susan responds with, yeah, but it's fucking awesome, man. And, you know, of course shares the sentiment of everyone in the modern world, right? I mean, we all think the same thing. Because we know that whatever it is that we're onto, and it seems that we're onto something, you know, whatever it is that we are onto, it's so much bigger than we could ever imagine with our minds. And it sounds a lot like source energy, right? You know, it doesn't really matter what spiritual denomination you follow. You know, if you're a Christian, you're raised to share equal amounts of love and fear over the idea of experiencing God. If you're a Hindu, there's a predisposition to feel the infinite as this Kelly the Destroyer type of energy, where she embodies the power of both the most 
beautiful aspect of life, but also the darkest part of our experience here on earth. And if you're someone on the path in spirituality, I mean, eventually we realize that source energy is both of these polarities working interchangeably at all times. And so perhaps we should look at this new conquest in AI the same way. I mean, after all, if, if the true conquest of enlightenment is to awaken to the eternal nature of our own spirit, I mean, what, what consequence would it be if we were to unlock the gateway to source energy with a singular explosion that led to humans being able to experience God for a few moments before, you know, the intensity of that energy just destroyed everything about life as we know it? I mean, it really is ironic how deeply people want to experience God, but usually on their own terms. You know, terms that involved just being able to experience him while also being able to go home and continue being the same people we've always been. And that's the power of source energy, you know, is that to experience God with the magnitude that we wish to experience him, you know, we would have to give up everything that makes us human to do it. And as many Hindu sages would say, God is where the ego is not. After all, I mean, if reincarnation is really what we tend to believe and feel, I mean, what a beautiful journey it would be to return home if that's what God wanted of us, right? But until we dispel the fear provoked by the rascal that is the ego, I mean, we'll just, you know, continue allowing source into our lives in ways that won't scare the shit out of us. And uh, will also allow us the opportunities to learn while we are here. So uh, I had this uh, conversation with a friend recently about this uh, application people are downloading to their phones called Lenza AI. It's uh, basically this platform that allows you to upload various images of yourself. And as a result, this AI tool scans the symmetry of your face and then taps into the data sphere of information we call the internet and delivers up to about 50 different artistic renditions of us in different roles. And they, they call them avatars. And it makes me think of a talk that I heard a while back by Deepak Chopra, where he said that the internet is the collective mind of humanity which is very similar to how I view the Akashic Records. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Akashic Records, so Akasha is a Sanskrit word meaning space or ether. It's basically like this uh, non-physical plane of existence. And it's uh, really most often referred to metaphorically as a spiritual supercomputer. And it contains the whole of human existence. And it sounds a lot like the internet, right? So the idea of this conversation was that maybe this AI tool is somehow able to provide us with past life imagery of us in different timelines or imagery of us in some future scenario. I mean, I'm not really sure how probable that is, but you know, I thought it would, the idea of that was really compelling. But even if let's just say these alternate versions of us are traversing through the cosmos in different timelines, I mean, isn't it interesting that we can do something very similar within the landscape of regular everyday life? You know, although there aren't various physical manifestations of ourselves in this reality, I mean, we certainly do a great job of creating certain types of emotional manifestations in this reality, you know, of, of who we want to be, who we'd like to be, who we think we are, and, you know, who we want others to think we are. And although we are dealing with one singular lifetime, I mean, we can still change the way that we look, change the way that we think, you know, even change the way that we feel about something or someone. So in a way, I mean, we have just as much access to experience ourselves as different people as we do in past or future incarnations, though I think the difference is emotional and less physical in this realm. I mean, if you have a career in the 21st century, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
You know, we can be a working professional during the day while also being a weekend warrior space traveling in a transformational festival deep in the Mojave Desert at the same time. I mean, many of us live with two aspects of ourselves all the time, which really, you know, in a way is required to live and coexist in this world, it seems like. But, you know, at what cost seems to be the most important thing to explore. I mean, especially when it comes to our emotional well-being. Of course, there are innocent aspects of this socially acceptable form of manic behavior we all find ourselves participating in. I mean, it seems perfectly normal to sacrifice little pieces of ourselves so that we can ultimately live a life more conducive to our hopes and dreams, right? But there is a darker element of this sort of bipolar dance of alternating faces and personalities. I mean, what happens when the collective unconscious patterns of our world start intervening into the realm of emotions and spiritual well-being? I mean, what happens when the ego figures out how to superficially manufacture a feeling of love without actually feeling it inside? And going even further than that, I mean, what, what happens when the ego starts trying to convince the people in our lives that we are a certain type of person, you know, knowing full well that in reality, we may not even feel like that person at all. Of course, this can be innocent, but, you know, the darker aspect of this is that this type of behavior can equate to a lot of dysfunction in our lives. And we will go to really great lengths to preserve the images we have of ourselves. I mean, even if the truth of how we feel is nothing like the images we've created. And this is what I'd, I'd like to talk about today, if I could. So have you ever tried to invoke a feeling of love in something that you knew in your heart you didn't feel love for? And despite the best efforts of others to encourage you to perceive your own experience in a way that didn't feel natural or authentic to you, like despite that, you, in a way, still committed to this idea of loving yourself without experientially feeling it within your being. You know, and you do it with the least amount of conviction in your heart. I mean, have you ever been in a relationship that felt like this? I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm certain that many of us have felt this way at some point in our lives, whether, you know, as a teenager or as an adult. Because, uh, you know, the society and the cultural institution that we belong to seems to normalize the system of contradiction between what we believe on one hand, and what we do on the other. And when we can see this contradiction play out in society, I mean, it becomes unbelievably clear how our outward world sort of reflects the inward condition of human beings. I mean, at some point in spirituality, we acknowledge that there's both an ego and the awareness of ego working within the substratum of our experience. And the irony of this understanding sort of allows us to clearly see the behavior of doing something we believe we should be doing, like loving, and not at all believing that this is how we really feel at the same time. I mean, all in the same moment. You know, we can feel deeply moved by the trauma of a broken heart, yet, you know, show up to the party with a smile so convincing that no one would ever believe that you had it in you to feel pain. I mean, clearly, we've all been this person. And as socially acceptable as it is to not externalize your deepest emotions and moments that you feel them, I mean, it's, it's also deeply sad that we have to pretend as a way to sort of preserve an ego inside that is deathly afraid of others perceiving them in a way that's negative. And so we often kind of walk around fragmented, almost as if we were two different people. Yet, you know, because we've become so proficient and accustomed to preserving our images, you know, we never give ourselves the opportunity to have medical professionals like psychotherapists tell us that we're suffering from a type of mental illness. I mean, why would we? I think, well, you know, because the deepest aspect of what we observe in ourselves 
really already knows that this is the case. And whether we communicate it openly or keep it hidden within, I mean, we all know that this system of operating is deeply flawed. And we know this because of how terrible it makes us feel on a daily basis. I mean, we often talk about how fucked up the world is as if we're not a part of it, but we are. And while we focus our attention on a world kind of in disarray, I mean, we seldom think about whether our way of thinking may be influenced by this. But, you know, this is the circumstance we find ourselves in in life. To be a part of a society that encourages you to feel something you don't really feel. And not only that, but, you know, to act from the illusion of what you feel and building the foundation of your life from this absence of feeling. And it isn't surprising that we suffer from anxiety or, or deep depression as a result because, you know, we're always pretending to be something that we don't really trust or believe in, right? And this system of behavior is how many people approach the fundamental system of spirituality, you know, like this, this idea that we can believe our way into loving ourselves or someone else it becomes like an arbitrary desire based on the type of futility of our own will to kid ourselves into believing we've achieved happiness as a result of our efforts, right? In other words, you know, the ego seems to set the parameters for what it believes it means to be happy or loving. And when these parameters have been met, it can behave as if it's both happy and loving without even checking in with you first, right? Without checking in with you first as to whether or not it's even true. I mean, often when we are asleep to this kind of process, we, you know, allow the ego to run with these ideas it has of what it means to be happy or loving. But, you know, underneath, we still have this skepticism about the whole drama unfolding in front of our eyes. Yet, you know, we know very little about how to adjust the lens of our attention as to not fool ourselves. You know, we know very little about how to awaken from this type of sleep. And why would we try? I mean, everyone else around us seems to be playing the same game. So, I mean, why risk being ostracized by a world that at least, at least shares a type of mutual acceptance of the beautiful chaos of the mind, right? And this is part of the difficulty of waking up, you know, that, that we risk losing our understanding of things that we find deep comfort in, even if those things, you know, appear to be destroying us. And the truth is, I mean, we all know deep down that our understanding of the world is destroying us. And our main issue is that we think that there's something that we need to do in order to save ourselves from being destroyed. But, um, you know, the solution to this isn't, it doesn't seem to be some grandiose network of actions formulated to help prevent you from being destroyed. I mean, we most certainly have them. You know, many people at this point, they'll start picking up books, you know, they'll go to seminars, they'll go, their book, book retreats at expensive hotels and, you know, listen to hours and hours of people telling them how it is that they should feel and what it is that they should be doing with their life. And of course, you can come home with the intention of loving yourself or trying to love yourself at least, but, you know, still after all of that, still feel as though you're missing something about this whole love thing. We wonder why this is. And I think... I think it's because as long as the ego is involved in our quest for self-love, it'll just sort of continue changing the rules of the game, right? And we'll do this specifically in moments where you feel like you're finally making progress. I'm just, you know, but why does the ego do this? And I think it's because, you know, the ego is not in the business of being peaceful. And it most certainly doesn't want to surrender everything it's built to a peaceful life of solitude and bliss, right? I mean, what business would ego have there? I mean, it hardly listens to us. I mean, why should we expect that it would listen to love? 
So instead of allowing you to deeply love yourself, you know, the ego always tries to convince you that you have an issue, right? That you're unlovable, that you aren't enough, that you need to be healed, that you're not ready, that you could do better, that you can improve, that you need to love him or her better, you know, that you need to be a good person. And it will use things like spirituality as a way to keep the game going, right? It will use spirituality as a way to reinforce the belief that the seeker must exist in order to improve. And so the quest for self-love and self-improvement just goes on and on and on until, you know, one day perhaps maybe we break. You know, one day maybe out of frustration. We, we throw this whole idea of improvement and self-love into the trash and we just give up. And this act of giving up, you know, if it's sincere, allows us access to this spiritual dimension, you know, like the spiritual dimension that we've spent countless years trying to reach only to find out that we didn't need to reach for it. I mean, it was, it was always there. And this sudden spontaneous surrender of everything just begins to open up this vast space within us that can actually begin listening to the truth of who we are. Because in this space, we're really no longer clouded by these ideas of what we should be. And when this type of sort of fierce grace sets upon our life, I mean, and everything, let's just say, becomes still, we begin to see the images that the ego has created for us to follow. You know, we start to see what we think we are as a carefully crafted set of belief systems constructed for the sole purpose of keeping you distracted from your true self. And in this understanding, I mean, it, it becomes absolutely clear that we don't exist in the way that we once thought we did because we realize that the one seeking answers, you know, the one wanting to be improved, the one wanting to love better, let's just say the one wanting to be a better person, is simply just the ego's attempt to reach a place it knows nothing about and a place it can never really know anything about because, you know, there's nothing to know about who you are. And because there's nothing to know about ourselves, I mean, who is it then that would need to be improved? And not just that, I mean, who's going to do the improving, right? It most certainly wouldn't be consciousness or awareness, right? This force inside of us doesn't need to be improved. I mean, it, it doesn't need to be loving. It doesn't need to love itself or others more. It's already all of these things, and it really requires no effort to be all of these things. And you may ask, well, why? Well, because, you know, consciousness isn't in the business of doing things. It's in the business of just being. And when we are fully integrated with just being, then love and compassion and beauty and peace, all of these qualities just flow naturally from it. And it really requires no effort to do so. So we are, like, in other words, fully integrated with the natural flow of what happens in this moment and surrendering our motives for life to nature. You know, like what is there when we aren't thinking about who we are? Can we still eat? You know, can we still breathe? Can we love? And I would say yes, but it isn't something that is happening because you are doing it. It happens just spontaneously, right? It happens without choice. It happens because in that moment, that is what is supposed to happen. You know, it is the most appropriate thing to do in that moment. So for example, like when we're breathing, is it us that is deciding to breathe or is it just happening? I mean, regardless of what we think about our breathing, it, it, it still seems to carry on doing its thing, right? I mean, you can most certainly control your breathing by holding your breath or hyperventilating, but you know, the act of controlling this process just sort of fucks everything up. 
because breathing is a natural process. And it doesn't need our ideas and beliefs in order to continue its process, right? I mean, why would it? I mean, after all, it, it came before any of that. So regardless you know, of what we think about the breath or who it is that we believe is breathing, it, it, it's still there just minding its own business, doing its thing, hoping one day that you start doing the same thing. See, the point isn't to just completely eradicate the ego from your life, but to acknowledge what the ego can and can't do for you in your life. And, you know, understanding its place in this experience. And we can only do that once we've created space between our awareness and the ego, right? And we create this space when we awaken to our true selves. And when we stand within, you know, the light of our own being, you know, we begin to understand that love really has no motive to exist. It, it really just is, right? It just is. Love is what flowers from us when we're untethered by the mind and sort of grounded in the heart of our experience in this life. So just as Alan Watts says, you can't make yourself sane. You can't make yourself sane, loving, or unselfish. And yet it's absolutely necessary that we be that way. If we're to hand over the direction of nature to nature, it's necessary that we let go of ourselves and it just, it just can't be done not by doing anything that we're used to doing, not by anything we call doing. And why is this? Well, because we don't really exist. It's just an idea, right? It's just an idea based on a phony feeling, right? That's what Alan Watts says. And so what we are can never be narrowed down to just a feeling. What we are is just so much more vast and expansive than that. But it's important to not overly intellectualize the expanse of what I'm talking about. You know, the mind will just get confused trying to grasp it because the expanse isn't something we can clearly understand. I mean, nor are we supposed to, really. There isn't really anything left to do when it comes to facing the expansive spirit because it, it isn't a question of reaching an expansive state, right? It, it isn't a destination to be reached. It isn't a problem involving needing to be there when you're here instead. So to embody the expanse of our spirit is to be with ourselves in this moment, but void of any type of preconceived notions that you're here and not there, right? To abandon sort of like this idea of needing to understand even my words, right? And just experience the vastness of your own vibration yourself. I mean, try it. Try it out for yourself. I mean, don't Simply believe or listen to what I'm saying. Like, find out, you know? Feel this, feel it in this moment and experience what is already here, right? Experience what is already here and what has always been here, even before thought, right? Before concepts, before beliefs, before our ideas of love and pain, before the imagination of mind, like before all of that. You are the everlasting before that comes before even the idea of before. <laughs> I mean, try and wrap your brain around that one, right? I mean, that's crazy. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to leave you guys uh, with that and uh, maybe something to just do on, something to contemplate, maybe to begin your week. So I just wanted to, yeah, thank all of you guys for tuning in. Divine Nobody's Podcast. If you're on the West Coast, I mean, bundle up. It's definitely cold out. And if you're nestled inside with that cup of your favorite mushroom latte, I mean, use this winter time for introspection. 
you know? Like, go deep if you have to. So yeah, New Year is upon us, friends, and uh, it's important that we all prepare for the beautiful but also challenging days ahead. But yeah, definitely don't be afraid because you're not alone. We're all here with you. I'm here with you. And uh, we're all doing this together, right? So until next time, friends, namaste. Namaste.